1: Hey, listeners, it's Phil Mackey. We're talking Minnesota sports five days a week on Mackey and Joe with Rami, available on Apple, Spotify, the Score North app, or anywhere else you find podcasts. If you're tight on time today and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Thank you to him. Cousins rolling,
2: and then he throws, and Rudolph, can he one hand it? Yes! Touchdown! Wow for a second like he was trying to throw it away and then Rudolph reaches up and grabs it one-handed yeah you know winning is all that matters and uh I actually you know feel looking back I've played very well in prime time I've played good football and if if let's say J-Ron doesn't intercept that and they come down with it am I going to suddenly say oh my gosh I, I'm terrible in prime time no I'm going to look at the production watch the film and grade it the same way I would if, if we win or lose so
3: the highlight on NBC, then Kirk Cousins talking about it, hour two of Mackey and Judd with Rami. <clears throat> you got this. Me. You got this. On 1500scorenorth.com. Right. Got choked
0: up after uh, And the, the Score win.
3: North mobile app, very choked up. Get, I get emotional about that type of stuff. In time for Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights with Tom Pelissero of NFL <laughs> Network. Tom, Vikings fans were wondering last night, but grateful that Jason Garrett started running the ball when they could throw it Will on the Vikings. Do you go into every offseason thinking, no, this is the year that Jerry Jones has finally had enough?
2: I think that we always are on alert for whether or not that day may come uh, with Jason Garrett, but... The Cowboys have this unique way of writing the ship at exactly the moment at which you think if they don't do it now, it's all over for them. You know, time and again, it's not as if they've tanked out. You know, they haven't had a 5 and 11 season. They've always seemed to be on the cusp, whether they're getting into the playoffs whether they are coming up just short of the playoffs. This is another season where, you know, from listening to my colleague Jane Slater talk about it on TV and, and reading some of the things that uh, popped up on Twitter today, hey, you'd think that the, uh, the star is on fire down there in Frisco. They're still tied for first place in their division. they still got a very talented roster. They just happened to run into a Vikings team last night that quite frankly played exactly the type of game that the Vikings are built to play.
0: Hey, Tommy, what the heck, in, in the Saints-Falcons game, it's not that the Saints look bad, the Saints look terrible. How, how do you summarize or deduct how that team, which obviously is has been good, looked that bad against a team that had struggled so much in the Falcons, who had one win going into that game?
2: It's a good question, Judd, and I didn't get to see a ton of that game live. I think that inevitably when you are riding on a high and you have a bad team coming in, there's the risk of, You know, potentially having some kind of a letdown. Uh, you know, I was at a game yesterday in Cincinnati between the Ravens and Bengals in which that very definitively did not happen and the Ravens (laughs) dominated, uh, in every phase from start to finish. Also, the Falcons have changed some things up. Uh, Dan Quinn delegated some of the duties on the defense, which he had been calling himself this season. That had been their biggest problem, had been just that defense was. Was was really poor. They played a lot better. They came up with some of their um, you know best football, and then you know the Saints also had a key injury to Marshawn Lattimore when he went down with that hamstring that you know may sideline him for a little bit here. Immediately, Julio Jones catches a big uh, pass that ends up kind of breaking that game a little bit open. You know, I, I didn't think the Falcons. You remember seeing him play the Vikings yeah. in Week One. The Vikings dominated that game, but. I, yeah, I didn't get the impression this was a really bad team. They just they played some bad football, and you know whatever they were doing with that extra week to prepare, obviously, it paid off.
1: You know, it's uh, by the way, Tom Pelicero, NFL Network, with us here. at Tom Pelicero's NFL Insights every single Monday at five o'clock. And I think if you would have asked me going into the week, I would have said, "Yep, definitely Saints and Niners, definitely above the Vikings in the NFC pecking order." And then the Saints go and put up a clunker like that. Vikings look really good and it's uh, it's it's very much a living organism, the NFC pecking order. But where do you think the Vikings are after everything that happened this last weekend here?
2: Well, it's a week-to-week league, it's a match league, and it's an injury league. I mean, all those things factor into how these games go. Again, you know, when I said earlier... That the Vikings played exactly the type of game that they are built to play. Well, they dictated that to the Cowboys, uh, on the, on their home field. You know, I'm not taking anything away from them. They, they simply said, we are not going to let you run the football on us. We will, we are going to stack up against the run or, you know, if you can beat us with Dak Prescott throwing the ball for, uh, 400 yards, which he came decently close to it, um, you know, then so be it. But we are not going to let Ezekiel Elliott the guy who's going to beat us in this game you know and one of the things i find fascinating is kirk cousins in that game goes 23 of 32 for 220 yards and two touchdowns on the road in prime time against a team with a winning record yet you sit back today and you go boy that running game was good boy that run defense was good that's yeah, then we can break down Kirk Cousins all we want. I thought the soundbite with Cousins talking was really apropos. I mean, it's not as if he had to do the heavy lifting himself. Now, he came up with some critical throws. I think that when we've seen him, um you know, struggle, for lack of a better term, this season, it's really been when early in games he's simply not accurate for one reason or another. We saw it, you know, obviously the Bears game was the most, uh, you know, glaring example of that. It happened again uh, in last week's game. Yesterday he came out. He made the passes he had to, and you know what they figured out with some of those outside toss plays, which have been really effective. I mean, I have to look at the updated numbers, but the Vikings are one of the best teams in the NFL this season uh, in terms of running outside the tackles. Uh, they got Dalvin Cook going. They got Alexander Madison going. It takes a lot of pressure off. You know, they as long as that defense and that running game are doing well. You know they can carry Kirk Cousins to a certain degree as far as they want to go. It's just a matter of does Cousins make enough plays to support that? But he's he's not their focal point. I don't mean that as a knock on Kirk. It's just it's the truth. They're built to play a certain way. It's the way that that offense uh, is built. And you know, frankly, Matt Ryan won an MVP playing in a pretty similar offense. You can put up some gaudy numbers, but it all starts with the running game. And certainly, as long as it's a Mike Zimmer coach team, it's going to start with the defense too. Both those sides. Um, certainly in the run game, anyway, on defense, and definitely the Vikings run game came up huge.
3: When you talk about that defense, though, you saw uh, Dak Prescott able to throw at will at Xavier Rhodes and at Mike Hughes. And before Mike Hughes, it was Trey Waynes who quarterbacks were able to throw at will against. Can you go deep with a defense that seems that vulnerable in the backside?
2: Well, and uh, again, I think it goes back to the matchup here because, and I'd have to go back through and see what the, you know, kind of man-zone split was, but my sense just watching the live was they were playing a lot of man-to-man and they were asking those guys to, to cover some pretty good receivers. I mean, Amari Cooper versus Mike Hughes in an ideal world, do you want to see that matchup 30 times through the course of the game? Probably not, but Hughes was probably the best corner that the Vikings had before he got injured. He made a few plays in that game last night, too, and he and he gave up some plays. I mean, you, you got to live with that. You know, you could sit back and play a bunch of zone and just say, okay, if you're going to run the ball, you know, into our front when we're playing too high the whole game, uh, maybe Zeke Elliott runs for 200 yards last night, maybe they lose. I mean, these are the decisions coaches have to make. You don't want to just say we're going to go out there and run our stuff. Uh, Mike Zimmer doesn't operate that way. Yes, his defense has certain principles, but they're going to be game plan specific, I thought, again, just – from my live viewing of it, I thought that it was a really smart game plan. You know, he bet on his secondary. As much as you can say, they gave up however many yards, 300-plus passing. Yep. They made enough plays, and the run defense was so good, and they controlled the clock so well uh, that it ended up with them uh, winning that game.
0: Explain the the, the uh, play, w- which th- the first time I saw it, I thought was just basically a bailout play, and by about the third or fourth time I said it's not the Dak to Amari Cooper uh, play, Tom, w- which is on the sideline, and it, honest to God, looks like Cooper has some type of glue on his shoes to keep himself inbounds. That's an impossible play. In in, he, in Hughes' defense on that touchdown, I don't know what he could possibly do because Dak rolls out, and it looks like Dak is panicked, but he's not. And he puts that ball out of bounds, and Cooper somehow wills himself to stay inbounds. That is an incredible play.
2: Chris Collinsworth said on the broadcast that ball's three yards out of bounds. And I spent the next five minutes trying to figure out if anybody is nine feet tall in terms of once yes. their <laughs> arms are over their head and whether that could be an accurate. Because he's still upright at a 45 degree angle. The ball couldn't have been more than maybe seven and a half, eight feet out of bounds. But uh I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing to defend. You know, yeah. that's, He he extends the field, and Amari Cooper has shown he's really good at that. I mean, I remember when that trade went down and they gave up a first-round draft pick, I and a lot of people within the NFL were flabbergasted by it. Uh, But the Cowboys and their scouting director, Will McClay, really believed that there was something untapped with Amari Cooper, that they could get him back to play the way that he had done early on in his career. You know, he had certainly dealt with a couple of injuries here and there, but just hadn't been... All that productive. Well, since he's gotten there, he's been a, an absolute difference maker for the Cowboys. That now looks like a bargain. His next contract will not be. Joel Siegel, his agent, might just play uh, the highlight reel of those uh, out-of-body type of catches when uh, talking about the Julio Jones $22 million a year. But yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Mike Hughes is a good young corner. You know, he's, he's best built to play in the slot last night because Trey Wayne's out there to play him outside a bunch. You, know, you, you get by, you just hope he makes enough plays. He did come up with a couple uh, through the course of that game. And that's, uh, it's all about figuring out how to win the game. It may not always be pretty. Yeah, you may get diced up. But, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of games where he finishes with the rushing numbers that he did. And that's a credit to the way the Vikings played up front. 20 carries for 47 yards. I mean, you don't see that.
1: Mackie and Judd with Rami Tom Pellicero from NFL Network here. And, I think you know, there's a lot of happy fantasy football owners that have enjoyed Dalvin Cook's success this season. But in terms of just national football audience, Zeke Elliott, probably much more of a household name than Dalvin Cook. And last night, you probably had a lot of people introduced to what I think is the best running back in the NFL. You could probably debate two or three guys. When you talk to people around the league, uh what do they say about Dalvin Cook? Are, are there people who think, like I think, that he is the best running back in the NFL when healthy?
2: Well, I go back to his rookie season, which lasted, what, three and a half games? He was their best offensive player, the Vikings' best offensive player, right out of the chute, no NFL experience. He was already the best guy on the field. Uh, then, obviously, coming back from the knee, then the hamstring issues, we hadn't seen him, but I remember watching him in week one. I, and Even in the preseason, when he ripped off, remember the first carry of his preseason, went like 80 yards for a touchdown, and you just went, okay, that guy, he's back. And that's the impression you get from from other people, certainly, uh, within the league as well. This is a uniquely talented runner. Um, there were certain questions about him uh, that allowed him to fall into the second round. I mean, I, I know that the Vikings, on the morning, the second day of the draft, were still going through and doing extra homework because they didn't think there was any way that the guy was still going to be available uh, when it was coming time for them to pick. They end up trading up with, I think it was Cincinnati, to be able to get him, and this was this was what they envisioned. He's a perfect fit for that zone-running style where it's the wave effect and you're just trying to have your aiming point figure out where the hole is and hit it. He gets north and south, and they drafted another guy, Alexander Madison, by the way, who if you're not paying close enough attention to the numbers. You might not even be able to tell the difference. I mean, Dalvin's the guy. He's the bell cow in that room, but Madison's a, a good young runner, too. It's a credit, too. Rick Spielman and George Payton and the staff there that they've you know scouted well at that position and they got a couple of guys who look like they are forces for years to come.
3: Earlier today, Tom, I asked uh, Phil if we might have a quarterback controversy, tongue in cheek, if we might have a co- quarterback controversy in New Orleans and Phil said, "No, no controversy." Teddy Bridgewater should be the (laughs) starter. Now, I don't don't think that Sean Payton sees it the same way, especially not at this point. But do you think they could see enough decline in Drew Brees between now and the end of the season, along with what they saw from Teddy and his stint as a starter, that they say, we're moving on to a new quarterback?
2: Very difficult to fathom, just knowing the long history between uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton, that it would get to that point. Now, Drew Brees faded down the stretch last year you remember the Dallas game I think it was a Thursday nighter that was kind of the turning point to that stage in the season everybody believed Drew Brees was going to be the NFL MVP he was running away with it at the same time Patrick Mahomes of course was coming up and continuing to throw five touchdowns a week and making highlight real plays but yeah there was there was a drop-off no doubt about it in terms of their offensive productivity uh down the stretch of that season uh, you also have to remember Brees you know, is an older quarterback. He's around 40. I can remember exact, his exact age right now. But coming back from a thumb injury, he missed a lot of reps. You know, you got to see a lot more from it. It was one bad day for that entire offense. I, I really find it hard to believe, unless they were to go through some four- five-game stretch where they simply can't produce, that that would even uh, come into their thinking here. Uh, the fact that we're even having that conversation, of course, bodes well for Teddy Bridgewater, who once again is going to have a shot to get back to free agency. And with Breeze, um, you know, coming up on the last year, he's in the last year of his contract as well. There are some interesting conversations to be had with the Saints come February and March, even if they don't happen here in uh, November December.
0: Have the Cincinnati Bengals perfected the tank?
2: Well, the thing is, they're not trying to tank. They're doing a so good job, though, Tom. That's, well,
1: that's what it's, they
0: want you to think. Yeah, exactly right. See, you're buying in. <laughs> We're being duped Listen, here.
2: they, they They go into the off-season thinking they're going to have a top-ten draft pick, Jonah Williams, anchoring that offensive line of left tackle. They're envisioning A.J. Green catching touchdown passes left and right. Andy Dalton is going to have a renaissance. He's got a close relationship with Zach Taylor on defense. They imagine Dre Kirkpatrick is going to be one of their core players. They know they got some issues up front, um, but they're going to be able to kind of patch it together because the secondary is going to be so good. Well, I'm at that game yesterday. It's Ryan Finley at quarterback with Andy Dalton on the bench after playing Lamar Jackson in practice through the course of the week. You got no AJ Green; he's still not out there. Uh, Jonah Williams hasn't played. Cordy Glenn hasn't played. Drake Kirkpatrick's hurt. Practically everybody else on the defense is hurt. They're just they're not they're not talented. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, there's there's good players. You're in the NFL for a reason, but they're 53 versus the Ravens 53. It's tough. You know, you looked at their game plan. They had a clear vision for how they wanted to stop the Ravens on defense yesterday. They played their big guys, their linebackers and their defensive linemen and were like, we're going to, we're going to lock down and stop the run. If you can beat us throwing the football, go for it. Well, Lamar Jackson did. He beat them throwing it from the first play when it's the play action deep shot and Marquise Brown outruns everybody. Offensively, they actually weren't terrible. They move the football, uh, pretty consistently. I think they were over 200 yards or close to it in the first half, but a pick six, a strip sack fumble recovery for a touchdown, you know, that, that tilts the scales. Nobody's going to look back on that as a, as a memorable day, but, you know, that's also a franchise that they don't start over. They don't trade guys. They are very reluctant to cut their players. They're, they're caught in no man's land right now, man. Kind of like the Giants, you know, teams that are Oof. holding on to some older pieces rather than just going, we're going to strip it down. We're going to get rid of people. We're going to get all the draft capital we can. The Bengals didn't trade Dino Atkins or A.J. Green or Carlos Dunlap or anybody else at the deadline, which is what we're building teams do. So, no, they're not tanking. They're just not good.
1: Oh, poor Bengals. It's kind of, I feel like it's been that way for I think the they're majority of the of a job. Of like the, last the Dolphins have
0: screwed up beyond belief. Yeah, they Two are consecutive really wins? What are you doing, Miami? Come on, Man. Hey,
2: credit. Credit to Brian Flores and that staff for keeping those guys going. Even I if you watched him. some of those games they were losing, guys were playing hard. Tommy, they I'd they fire them. They on from some guys like Minkah Fitzpatrick. <laughs> You're all gone. <laughs> like Mega Fitzpatrick who wanted out, they move on from him to get a first round. They got more picks than anybody. They got, what is it, five first round picks over the next two drafts? And they're already accidentally winning some games with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. It's <laughs> it's not the tank. It's not the tank you wanted, but it might be the tank
1: yeah. you. Need. <laughs> well put. That is Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. Where can people find you throughout the rest of the week, Tom? Well,
2: I will be at the Vikings Broncos game uh, on Sunday, so I'll be. On NFL Network pretty much every day this week. From home, we'll be in Denver, I'll be at the Vikings, all over the place. Uh, plenty of Purple Talk coming up uh, on the network.
1: All right. See you, Tom. See you next Monday. Bye, Tom. All right. That Later. is Tom Pellicero, a longtime friend here. And uh, you can find him every Monday at 5 o'clock for Tom Pellicero. Dolphins NFL have
0: screwed up something awful. I don't know what they're doing. i tell you that right now. I don't now. know what they are doing Brian over there. Brian Flores, you're out. If you can't lose games the correct way, then I don't want you. But
1: it does show you, like for some other team, that, yeah. boy, this dude can probably coach if he can take that stagnant locker room and get them engaged halfway through this drinking season. I trade him. Trade <laughs> I, trade
0: I trade him. If there's any value in them, you trade him. That's yeah. part of the take. Jacksonville. I get it. Take Brian Flores.
1: <laughs> It'd be amazing. Uh, Vikings nitpicks. Yeah, there are some things to nitpick. And we do Vikings nitpicks every single Monday. So we'll do that when we come back. Mackie and Jeb with Rami on the all-new Score North and the Score North app.